I don't have physical rituals like you'd imagine flicking the light switch off and on five times or, you know, everyone's going to (laughs) die. It's nothing like that. It's um, more to do with mental rituals. So trying to get rid of intrusive thoughts um, by thinking about a song or just trying desperately to control my thoughts. Whereas what you should be doing is allowing thoughts to come in and out as they wish because they don't actually mean anything a lot of the time. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review on the Apple podcast platform from Reagan Ash. It's called Essential Listening on One and a Half Speed, of course. I listen to this all the time, and it's just so nice hearing other adult women dig into the tangible effects of ADHD in their lives. Not just career or academically centered challenges, but the real ways in which our minds function differently than the neurotypicals and the patterns of behavior it leads to. Thank you for that review, Reagan. I am so glad these interviews are so meaningful, and I totally agree. We learned so much more about our ADHD from hearing the lived experiences of other women, more than we ever would learn from the DSM or other diagnostic criteria. And of course, thank you for taking the time to review the podcast because it means other women like you are gonna be able to find these interviews. If you've been listening to this podcast and you love it and you haven't yet left a review, please pause this episode right now. We will wait, I promise. And go ahead and leave me a quick review in the Apple Podcast platform or simply just give it five stars. They make a real difference in getting this podcast heard by other women. And it also just makes me feel so nice and happy inside too. And if you're a regular listener and fan of the podcast and you're interested in joining us in the online community, make sure to head over to womenandadhd.com or find the link in the show notes. Again, if you'd like to join us, we would love to have you. That's womenandadhd.com. Okay, this is episode 53 in which I interview Holly Slater. Holly is originally from the UK and now lives in Sydney. She is a freelance copywriter and craft beer aficionado, as well as a vocal advocate for supporting women in the craft beer industry and changing stereotypes. Holly and I talk all about spontaneity and wanderlust, as well as visual memory versus remembering names or tasks. We also talk about emotional intensity, especially in childhood, And Holly talks about some of her mental rituals and goes deeper into her diagnosis of pure O OCD. All right. Enjoy. So now are you a lockdown? Are you a lockdown diagnosis? Because I was that was sort of what how this all happened to me. And you said you were diagnosed last year. So why don't you? Well, why don't we start there? Walk me through how you got diagnosed. You're going to have to put up with me interrupting you constantly. I'm so sorry. But seeing as this is about ADHD, I feel like I'm going to be forgiven for that. Oh, I know, um, right? I'm used to it. We go we go all over the place. That's the beauty of a podcast with two women with ADHD. It's just I'm like... just trying desperately not to interrupt you constantly <laughs> as I interrupt you. Um, essentially, I got diagnosed in 2019. So um, it was the end of not last year, the year before, the very, very end of that year. So, oh, okay. Um, I thought it was last year, but obviously it was the tail end of 2019. Um, so it was actually nothing to do with um, the pandemic. It was more to do with where I was mentally in my life. Um, I experienced a huge amount of anxiety um, throughout my life. And um, it kind of came to a head really in, in 2019. Um, I was away from my family for a while 
being in Australia, it's quite difficult sometimes being away from your support group because I think when you feel different, you need people that you know love you no matter what around you. Um, and so I had to make a lot of new friends in Australia. Being from the UK, a lot of people I made friends with went back home at some point. Um, and I made friends with lots of different people, but the majority of them kind of moved back to the UK. Um, now I have a really fantastic support group in Australia, but it wasn't really the case two years ago. I was kind of floating around. I was a bit lost. Um, came to Australia because I broke up with an ex. So I was just, you know, floating around, essentially trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing <laughs> with my life. Um, and then I just started getting panic attacks, really bad panic attacks. And I'd never really experienced that before on that level. I started to think I was going insane. I started thinking, um, oh, my God, am I, am I schizophrenic? Like all these intrusive thoughts. It was really intense, really, really awful. Um, and then I went to a doctor. They, I had a therapist who I still see today who is one of the most amazing women I've ever met before. And it was really down to her why I got diagnosed um, because we were seeing each other for only a few weeks when she said, you know, there's definitely a few things going on here, um, one of which is pure OCD, which is essentially mental rituals as opposed to physical. Okay. So it's kind of obsessive, intrusive thoughts, which actually go hand in hand with ADHD sometimes anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's been calmed down now for a long time. Um, my therapist has helped me with lots of techniques um, to not sort of spiral in terms of how my thinking's going. Um, so that's not too much of a concern anymore. But the ADHD was something that it actually didn't surprise me in the slightest. She just said, Holly, you've got quite severe ADHD because you speak so fast when you're anxious and your thinking's all over the place. I struggle with executive function. I can't listen for more than a few minutes, you know, unless I'm really interested in something, all the classic signs. And um, so it was essentially my therapist that said I had it. And um, from that point on, I've just kind of researched it a lot and accepted it, been upset about it, been happy about it, all the different emotions. Um, but my mum did say when I was a teenager, I, I think you might have ADHD, you know. And I just... Didn't, didn't think anything of it. I was a teenager. I didn't care what that meant. I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. And then that was it. And then obviously as life continues on and there's a lot of challenges that, that are presented to you as you get older, um, my ADHD just got worse and worse because I was worried about so many more, so much more um, elements in my life, career and, you know, a partner and financial things, you know, Lots of different things um, kind of came to a head and I just felt completely overwhelmed and, and bowled over essentially and just needed a bit of guidance, I think. Uh, isn't it funny how it just like you can hear it several times in your life and then one time it just lands and it's just like, bam, like suddenly you're like, holy shit, I have ADHD <laughs> and like all of a sudden everything changed. Like I think about all the ways in which like my therapist suggested it to me for years and I was sort of like, oh fascinating interesting and I even took like self-tests online and was like oh yeah look it's perfect I've I cross every you know every one of these things I have but I still didn't know what to do with that information and then at some point during the pandemic when it was 
I think I sort of hit some sort of perfect storm of difficulties and struggles in executive function that I was like, maybe I will look into this. And, and maybe it's then that it's like, once you start to actually look into it, that it's like, oh my God, everything makes sense finally. Like, but it is amazing. Like I'm always, I'm always fascinated when, you know, so many of us seem to have that same experience where it was like, it wasn't like it just out of nowhere, you were like, what is this ADHD you speak of? Like, you know, it's this thing that kind of like you hear of over and over again. I'm, it's interesting that your mother actually recognized it in high oh, school. Yeah. Oh God, I was hyperactive. I was really hyperactive. And just, I think I've always been quite childlike um, in a lot of elements of my personality. I get very excited and um, yeah, I think that I've always been like that. I've always felt mentally a little bit younger than all of my friends. Yeah. Not so not my intelligence, but it's more just like I get I get excited like a kid and I think in high school my mum just thought, you know, I used to um like have these like physical sort of not shudders, but almost like if I was excited I would kind of shake. It was just like too much energy running through my body almost. Oh, yeah. I call that like my body buzz, you know, like I get it after after my interviews, I get body buzz because I'm so stimulated from the conversations (laughs) that I have that afterwards I'm just like, yeah, what do I do? What do I do? Like I'll like have to go out and run around and stuff. Um, Yeah, but I know that's amazing. I I can just picture you running around (laughs) in your garden. Like a robot. And everyone's like, what is she doing? (laughs) Oh, that's okay. She does that every few days. (laughs) It's her body buzz. Uh, (laughs) Did you know that, did you know that like spontaneously picking up and moving from, I didn't move anywhere near as far as you did, but like when you said you broke up with an ex and moved to Australia, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) that's, I did the exact same thing 20 years ago. I broke up with an ex and, and just was like, I need to move. And I picked up and moved and I moved from Canada to the U S and I, then I met my, my now husband and now I'm trapped here. But like, it was, I had no idea that spontaneous travel was part of ADHD. And then now I'm like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. There's the impulsivity. There's the, like you said, like that sort of childlike wonder. But I think there's also something about like reinvention you know like I think there is something about us that always wants to kind of start fresh and and leave all of our troubles back in the old place and and have this whole like I had this whole wonderful idea that I was just going to become like you know start everything fresh and I was going to become this perfect person and I've noticed that throughout my life oh you know that I with diets and like all of these various ways in which we're like today's the day that I'm going to start fresh and everything's going to be wonderful and I'm going to be that perfect person so um where do you have a history of like spontaneously picking up and moving (laughs) oh um no I well I've been traveling a lot in my life because living in the UK for most of my adult life um till I was 25 I'm 31 now so I've been here for six years but in the UK obviously I was there till I was 25 and it's so close to other countries in Europe that um it'd be silly not to sort of just spontaneously travel so I wouldn't say I've lived I would just pick up and live in another country um the only reason I did that was because it was a really difficult breakup and two of my very close friends already lived out here so it was a very easy transition for me at the time um to just it was a no-brainer go to Australia where two of your best friends are um and that's what I did but I lived in France and I lived in Spain as well when I was 22 and 23 uh, when I was at university. Um, so I think, yeah, part of that spontaneity is 
what I chose at university was to do languages. So I had to do um, a year abroad in my third year. So that was really interesting. Um, also really difficult, actually, more difficult than I imagined it would be. Uh, because I kind of isolated myself while I was living in France. I was supposed to be this teacher teaching um, children English. And as someone with ADHD and depression at the time, uh, I just thought, I can't, I can't do this. Like planning lessons, <laughs> what on mm. earth am I supposed to be doing? And I was only young. I didn't have any support from sort of the school that I was working in the French um, school. They didn't understand where I was coming from, I don't think. They didn't, because French people tend to be quite sort of matter of fact, um, quite blunt. So if there's an issue, they just want you to say it. But I didn't know at the time what, what was going on with me. I just thought, God, you're so lazy. You're so stupid. You don't know how to be a teacher. You don't know how to do this or that. And um, I was missing home. All my university friends that I'd made, I had to just, I was kind of ripped out of uni and then plonked in the middle of France. <laughs> so that was really tough. But um, I would say overall, yeah, I love traveling. I love being spontaneous. My partner will tell you it probably made him gray a lot earlier than he needs to be because I am like just like Homer Simpson and Marge is just like, what is happening? You're doing all these weird things all the time. That's kind of like me. I'm just making my partner gray before his time because <laughs> I'm always suggesting new things that we should be doing. And if we don't do them, I feel like I'm somehow missing out on something because <laughs> I've had the, I've already had the thought now. So we have to do it. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's like Dorian gray. Meanwhile, you're getting younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, it's ridiculous. I tried so many different things as a kid. And um, yeah, I've always had these crazy ideas that I want to do. But I think Australia is probably the craziest. And it's obviously lasted six years now. So I must be doing something right. Mm -hmm. um, so you went to school for languages? I'm just trying to keep like this is so ADHD. You went to you went oh, to sorry. university. This is like you went to university for languages. Uh, now you're a copywriter, um, and somewhere along the way, you became a craft beer expert and industry advocate for women. And like you know, like I mean, that's I I love that. I mean, you could, my my CV looks the exact same, which is like it is all over the place. But like. Um, and I love that. I love that about us. I love the fact that we do a million things too, but like, it's also sort of, it, it can be so dizzying when you're trying to be like, well, look, I need you to be like one thing. So, but looking back, uh, how was school? Like, what are some things in your past where you look back and you're just like, okay, that uh, obviously that was ADHD all along. Cause you talked about high school a little bit. Um, but was there anything like in your childhood that you look back now and you think that, okay, that was clearly the ADHD? Strangely enough, I didn't really struggle with uh, schoolwork like a lot of people with ADHD do. Um, I was quite interested in school. I loved it. All my friends were there. I had a great time. Um, I grew up in a very small town in, in North Wales in the UK, and um, it was a really close-knit community and I didn't, I used to enjoy going to school, to be honest. I wasn't good at everything. Obviously, I was better at languages um, and writing. But um, I did always feel a sense of being different, um, being a bit strange, because I think I was always the kind of person that would want to have 
quite deep, meaningful conversations with people all the time. And that's not something everyone wants to do. Mm, um, yeah. So I, I did feel a sense of separation from groups of people in school. Um, in terms of the school work, I, I didn't I didn't struggle with that at all. I started to struggle at university, definitely. Um, I think as the pressure piled on, that's when it kind of triggered off a bit more of the ADHD symptoms for me, uh, the executive functioning. One thing that was different about my high school years, I think, was I had a lot of anger and frustration. So I would feel very frustrated very easily, which I still sometimes get. Um, I think it's just a sense of overwhelm and having too many things in my head at once. And sometimes I just kind of lash out, really. I used to, my mum actually reminded me, I used to do this really strange thing when I was angry. And I used to bite down on my hand when I was quite young. Mm. as like a way of releasing the anger and tension. I'd never hurt anyone. I wasn't the kind of person that would um, throw things or, you know, be aggressive. It was more internally, it was more internalized. It was more aimed at myself than anything else. Yeah. Um, So I would think to myself, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I acting like this? And then I would just get really angry with myself and, um, I remember a few times people at school or my mum would just go, oh, my God, why are you acting like this? You're being really strange. Or if if I ever got called weird or strange, that would set me off. I would feel so angry and so hurt because, to me, the the word weird is such a trigger to me that if I'm weird, that somehow I'm, you know, not accepted. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, And just like, yeah, a sense of... And, uh, you know, you're, you're defective. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a profound thing to think when you're, when you're in your formative years. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We First of all, I, th- I feel like the majority of the women I speak to did well in school. I think that it's actually the minority of women who uh, really struggled in, st- in school because I think women just have you know, girls or, or anyone who was socialized as a girl growing up, like they have, the, I think that a lot of the issues are much more of that kind of internalized daydreaming and, and the people pleasing that kind of starts to snowball throughout life. And then you become this just, oh, you become incredibly anxious as a result because it's all of that like internalized um, issues. So I think, you know, you were kind of talking about how, you know, strangely you did well in school. And I think that that seems to me like that's actually much more the norm. Um, but it was interesting because like, I've spoken to a lot of women about anger from overstimulation, right? I think that's really like a mis, uh, misnomer that like, that especially when you talk about autism, when you talk about like when with neurodiverse people, there's sort of this, um, a stereotype that like when you get overstimulated that you kind of you cower you know or you think of the like stereotype of like the autistic child who has like the headphones and and is kind of like hiding um but I think a lot of the time with overstimulation we do we get really really angry and so I've like talked to a lot of women about it especially mothers when we talk about like the rage that we have toward children you know and that we have a lot of difficulty with emotional regulation when we get overstimulated from the noise of children babies and crying and everything else and and so I've always talked about it in that regard, but I've never really 
thought about like that kind of overstimulation leading to anger and self-harm in a kid. But like when you talk about it, it makes perfect sense. Like that's, yeah, absolutely. That would be a way to calm yourself, right? Is that kind of that anger and that rage to then want to kind of localize the pain in a way would be so, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about rage in children, but I mean, I certainly, um, I certainly, my acting out as a kid always was like talking back to my teacher and being like really, um, I was, I always ended up in the principal's office for just being, you know, the teacher would tell me I had to do something and I'd be like, no, I don't want to, you know, like I, those were the moments where I acted out. Um, so anyway, I'm just like processing all of this as I go, <laughs> but that's really interesting. If you prefer listening to your books like I do, then I have some great news for you. My book, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, is now available as an audiobook. In the book, I share my own sordid history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating and how I finally broke free. I also break down the six essential steps that helped me finally find food and body freedom. If you're sick and tired of the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle, and you are ready to heal your relationship with food and your body, you're gonna wanna drop everything and listen to my book. It is a game changer, if I do say so myself. Reviewers have called it inspiring, insightful, amazing, refreshingly honest, and a must read for anyone for whom the dieting cycle has failed. So now you can find Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom on Audible or iTunes or Amazon or wherever you find your audiobooks. Happy listening. And so then how did you get into craft beer? <laughs> oh, totally yeah, okay. I've kinda, I know. <laughs> well, um, I moved to Australia in 2015 and I was doing farm work um, for a, quite a while of that sort of first year that I was here, which we have to do in order to get um, an extra year on our visa. You have um, to do farm work? Yeah, we have to work on like Australian really? farms. Yeah. That's so idyllic. Oh, that's cool. I had no idea. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. But I just like that's that's kind of smart actually for the country to just be like, if you want to live here longer, you've got to do manual labor. <laughs> well, that's it. And it was very manual labor, but that's where you form the most um the strongest sort of friendships was mm-hmm. because you're, you know, doing backbreaking work in 45 degree Celsius heat. You're all literally in the <laughs> shit together. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. But then I moved to Sydney um, after I sort of did my farm work, moved around a little bit. 2016, I moved to Sydney and um, I sort of moved around a few pubs and things because that's kind of the easiest work to get into when you're not sure how to make money. In Australia, you earn quite good money doing hospitality. So anything in restaurants, pubs, bars, that, that sort of thing. Um, and then me and my friend just decided to um, go on, so ridiculously British, go on a pub crawl um, to find me a new job <laughs> in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> so my, me and my friend Adam were like, okay, I need a new job. Um, so let's go and drink some beer at these pubs that I might want to work at (laughs) and hand my resume in. And so that's how I got a job at um, a really sort of um, a a pub that everyone loves in the area I live in called the courthouse. 
Um, and so we call it the Courty for sure. And I started working there for about a year and a half. Fantastic um, establishment that's very open-minded, welcoming. It's, you know, the suburb I live in is very sort of left-wing. It's very progressive and um, all sorts of different people live here. It's fantastic because um, not all of Australia is like that. Some of it's very rural, <laughs> should I say. <laughs> um but it was fantastic, and um, that was my first taster of sort of really crafty local beers um, from Sydney, and it just kind of went from there, really. So I worked at a pub that had craft beer on on tap, and then one of my friends um, said to me, we're opening a brewery. Like, I'm a rep, as in he sells the beers to pubs. I'm a rep for this brewery. Do you want to come and work at our new tap house? And I said, yeah, that would be fantastic. So then I kind of dipped my toes into working in an actual brewery, not too far from where I live. And I started hosting tastings. Um, I was a supervisor there. So that was fantastic. And then I ended up getting a job at my current employer called Beer Cartel, which is essentially um, we've got a bottle shop, which is, I guess you'd call it a liquor store or something. It's just we sell beer there. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> That's all we sell. We don't sell spirits or wine. It's very focused on beer. And then we have a warehouse as well where we send online orders. So in the pandemic, that's been great because people order a lot of beer online. So we could keep our job. That was fantastic. So essentially, I've been working in the industry for about four years now in various capacities. I've done some podcasts as well related to beer. And I love it. I love this industry. But um, I did notice that it's very obviously male dominated and a lot's got to change um, in terms of how women are treated and approached in this industry. Um, there's so many examples I could, you know, go into with how we are treated sometimes in terms of, you know, oh, where's your manager? I want to ask about this or that when I'm standing right there, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all the sort of things you can imagine. And, you know, there's some quite dire things that have happened as well. Um, to people, you know, assault, that kind of thing. Um, so essentially, I just want to be an advocate. Yeah, for women in the craft beer industry, we, we're just as uh, valid. We know our stuff. Um, and just because I'm not a guy doesn't mean I don't know more than you about beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially from that, I started writing blogs for Beer Cartel as well um, and doing podcasts. And it kind of went from there in terms of writing and then I decided, of course, on, on a whim <laughs> to, to, um, to become a freelance copywriter and journalist because I've always loved writing and having done languages at university, I was like, well, why don't I combine my love of this and this to create this? And I didn't, I didn't have the confidence before this year to do it, to be honest, because I always thought, no, I can't, I can't do this. I don't have the skills, the confidence Um, And I just kind of did it. I created a website for myself, started advertising myself as a copywriter, and the work's been pretty steady ever since then. And I still work at Beer Cartel, um, still do their blogs and things and sell beer, but I also do my freelance copywriting as well. And that's something that's an end game for me is essentially do that full time. But as a freelancer, you can't just go straight into that because you need to build a client base, which is essentially what I'm trying to do at the moment is build that foundation for, for for the future for myself but it's been going really well I love writing um 
I'm a bit of a languages nerd, to be honest. So it does make sense that I'm doing that. See, once you actually trace everything back, it all makes sense. Every All these seemingly random interests and vocations all like come together and you're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense why I'm here with all of these. <laughs> Absolutely. It does fall into place. You never listened to your parents or your grandparents when you were younger, but it does all fall into place when it should. Um, somehow, magically, it kind of just happens. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. And obviously we have something to do with that. We make things happen for ourselves as well. But um, if I have any advice to anyone, it would be just let things happen the way they just are naturally supposed to happen and not not put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah, I think that we have a lot of impatience. And (laughs) I would say that's one of the difficulties with being an entrepreneur too, is like, I also like so often I will have these great ideas and I'll do this thing and then I'll be like, all right, I did the thing. Why aren't 100,000 people knocking down my door to get this thing or buy this thing? Like, you just sort of assume that, like, everybody's going to realize how great this is right now, right? Like, that there's no sense of of growth or progress. Uh, And then, of course, when that happened, like, that's like me with social media. I will post furiously on social media for, like, two weeks. And then I won't get any, I won't get the adequate feedback that I require for my dopamine hit. And then I'm like, this sucks. Forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. And I give up and I'm like, what did you expect? There's like nobody li- you have no followers. Instead. <laughs> exactly. Right. Just something uh, else. <laughs> um, but you're right. It is true. Like once you actually kind of take the time and to look through the hindsight, it is, it is amazing what we can accomplish and all of the, like the how everything does sort of tie into each other. So on that note, what would you say you love most about your ADHD? Um, There's a lot of elements to ADHD that are actually really positive. I think that people do forget about, um, I'm, I don't mind my impulsivity. It's not always a good thing, but I think it keeps things fresh and interesting. That's for sure. I love my passion for life, my passion for pretty much anything. I love food, I love music, I love my friends and my family. And when it's warm outside, when it's cold outside, I have a huge passion for pretty much everything in life. I'm always curious about things. And I have, like you said, a childlike wonder, I'd say, um, which probably annoys people sometimes and probably makes them feel like a bit confused. Like, who is this person? Why are they like a child? I don't understand. (laughs) But um, a lot of my friends, you know, love that quality about me. They think I'm really fun and I enjoy making people laugh and I try and keep it lighthearted most of the time because I just really enjoy making people laugh, I think. And that's probably part of the ADHD is just having that childlike quality, which is quite hard to find, I think, in, in a neurotypical person who has who's a bit more sort of tethered to reality. I like to be I like to not be in reality a lot of the time, <laughs> to be honest. I'm like, well, if I want to be a famous writer, then I bloody gonna do it. And you're not going to stop me <laughs> or, you know, and then I'll just go, actually, no, I've, that's ridiculous. And then I'll go, I want to be like, you know, a professional swimmer or <laughs> not that actually, but I, I like the fact that I can come up with new ideas constantly. That's proved really um, helpful for my copywriting. So obviously when you're writing, you have to mm-hmm. be coming up with new ideas all the time. So that's been really good for me. Um, and yeah, I think one of the main things is is the passion I feel and um, the intense emotions I feel aren't always negative. They can be excitement, happiness. Um, sometimes I'll feel goosebumps when I listen to a song. I don't know if everyone always feels like that. 
if it's always that sort of intense. But you get that a lot with ADHD too, where you're like these things that you sort of always assumed everybody had like goosebumps with, with songs and, you know, that you're sort of like realizing like everybody feels that way. Right. And then, then you have to come sort through each and every one of these idiosyncrasies and being like, Oh, is it really only 10% of the population roughly that has these reactions and experiences these things? And it just feels like they're everywhere and I'm surrounded by it. And I've always done these things. And most of my family members do this things and everybody I've ever loved in my life does this thing. And you're like, Oh, right. That makes sense. I only like people who are interesting. Like I was like, I only like people. I'm only drawn to people who are like me, you know? And so that's, there's that question of like, are we really surrounded by other neurodiverse people when we are neurodiverse because we're drawn to each other? Except oh, for absolutely. Our, except for my partner, my, my husband. When you were talking about childlike wonder too, I was thinking about like how, you know, that's one of the things I love as well. Like, you know, I just feel like I do have this sort of childlike energy about a lot of new things and discovering things. But then I also have this childlike relationship with money and spending. And I feel like I am not the adult in this relationship at all. A lot of the times so and I'm like, I don't know what to do with that information. You know, like when he, we have those conversations where my husband is like, you do realize how a budget works, right? Like you do think about money coming in and money going out. And I'm like, no, I don't like, I don't think those, I don't think that way. Um, and, and again, it's like sort of feeling like where I'm not an adult. A lot of the time I, I have that feeling. Um, and I'm, I didn't realize that that was actually quite common. That <laughs> There's like a lot of us who at the end of the day have that feeling of like, I don't, I didn't get the manual. I didn't get the adult manual. I'm sorry. I don't know how you guys all figured this all out. Like, was it osmosis or what? But I didn't, I didn't get it. I don't, I'm not there with you yet. I think my, my partner actually thinks he has ADHD and, um, he hasn't been formally diagnosed, but, um, I, I can recognize the signs in him immediately. So it's quite funny that we kind of found each other because it's a complete chaos. <laughs> now, did he think that, has he come to his realization through you and your awareness or was it? I think so, yes. I think um, like me, it was not something he thought about in too much detail. He just thought, ah, probably. But then, you know, he'll console me on the days where I feel like I can't function at all. And then he's actually just started studying to be a teacher um, and he's having a really hard time studying. And I just said to him, you know, I think you probably do have ADHD if you can't focus on anything. And, um, you know, that extreme level of procrastination, for example, let's tidy the entire house instead of doing this one thing that we really need to do. Yeah. Um, when we wouldn't ordinarily do that at all. And he's very forgetful, bless his heart. He's very forgetful. And, um, he's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. He's so intelligent. But he just struggles with yeah that a bit of that executive functioning as well on different way different ways to me though, which is probably a good thing, um, because I'm not forgetful. I'm weirdly um, I'm late for everything, and I'm scatty as anything. And I'm you know, if you talk to me about something, I'll probably try and talk to you about something else that I'm actually interested in, which is probably very annoying. But um, I do remember things and I'm quite um, perceptive as well. We were having a conversation the other day about people's eye color. And I said to him, 
could you tell me like all your friends eye color if I asked you? And he said, no. And I said, I've known them a lot less, like a lot, um, not as long as you have, but I could tell you every single person I've ever met, I could tell you their eye color. So like that level of perception, I think is something to do with my ADHD because I'm constantly checking out, you know, my surroundings and looking at this and that and all the details. And Davey's just, it goes over his head and he doesn't, sort of notice anything that's going on around you at all but his ADHD is definitely different to mine um but that's obviously normal for men mm. to have have it presenting differently but um his executive functioning isn't quite as severe as mine um but his the, the side things where he's studying I think he's been really struggling with that so that's something we'll definitely look into but um when you were saying you know we're drawn to people that are possibly neurotyp- neuro, um, neurodivergent. Um, I think that's definitely the case. You know, one of my best friends is bipolar and she's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I wonder with memory if there's different, t- there must be different types. I haven't really done much research on memory, but like, you know, so many of us do struggle with memory, but like, now that you mention it, like I have an, I have an, I have a great visual memory. So like if I've driven somewhere, I will always be able to drive there again. I will immediately, you know, I will always remember how to get somewhere from that visual memory. And like, I will remember somebody's face from anybody I've ever met my entire life, but you will tell me your name 12 times and I still won't remember it, you know? So I'm like, there must be different types of like visual and auditory and, Uh, different types of working memory that sometimes they land in different areas of our brain uh, (laughs) because there are so many things that, yeah, like there are so many things that I will forget. I'm terrible. Uh, I spend a lot of time setting up ways in which I can help myself remember things, you know, like, like I have my reminders app on my phone that goes off all day long to remind me to do literally everything from like, feed your children, take your morning meds, take your evening meds, like, I, you know, feed your pets, like every things that you would think that you have to do every day that eventually you would remember to do, I can't remember to do them unless I have these reminders going off. Um, But I will, you know, I remember every horrible thing my mother-in-law has ever said to me over the last 20 years. Uh, That's just the way it works. I think everyone would probably remember that kind of stuff you really don't want to remember. But that's what I mean. Like, I think there are ways in which when, when we start to talk about things like rejection sensitive dysphoria and like the way in which we ruminate and that we will hold on to negative comments for the rest of our lives and they will they will hover around us no matter what we do like little ghosts that will follow us everywhere so that's interesting I didn't really think about like the the we really can be very specific with memory or even just like with language too. Like it amazes me. Language is one of those things that my brother who is not diagnosed, but I'm, I'm convinced he also of my two brothers, I I'm convinced he also has ADHD, but he is really, really proficient at language and he picks up languages. He speaks multiple languages. He's never had an issue with vocabulary, but I could never remember vocab. I just was like, I can understand, you know, I will learn everything theoretically, but when it came to, um, actually like remembering the vocab, I just never could do it. And so, um, but then again, like there's also a lot of actors have ADHD. I'm like, how do actors remember monologues and how do actors remember scripts? Like there's gotta be all these different, like corners of our brain where sometimes they work and sometimes they don't (laughs) where it comes to memory absolutely 
Um, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned RSD because that's not a concept I actually knew existed until recently. And that is a symptom that um, I feel actually probably every day of my yeah. life um, through one way or another. And it's obviously my brain being a bit unkind to me because um, I have a, a lot of amazing friends that are just the strongest friendships you can imagine, like they're my family. But I also have this feeling of you're different, they don't like you, they don't like you, they don't like you. Constantly going in my head, it's just it's just so strange because there's no, there's no reason for me to think that way. Um, and when I think back to any sort of rejection I've experienced, it has been blown up in my head to ridiculous proportions. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just a rejection from the, that one friendship or that one person, it's from society in my head. And it's, yeah, that's something that I definitely wanted to touch on because it's, if anyone else feels like that, you know, I understand and it's awful. It's one of the worst parts of ADHD is that feeling of rejection because it's, it, it hits you right in your core. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely, I feel like I, the best way I've ever just heard it described. And I talk about this a lot with, in previous interviews too, which is just piece of shit syndrome, right? Which is like, and that was kind of how my therapist really started to talk about it with me was just that inverse relationship between accomplishment and self-esteem, right? And it almost feels like they are inversely related. Like it does feel like the more you get done in life and the more you accomplish, the worse you feel about yourself that you're just like, yeah, but I'm a piece of shit. And so it was like, that I think that was really what struck her, which was like the um, the overwhelming sense of of um, it's like disregard for ourselves, you know, which I think was a huge part of my journey when I was first diagnosed, which was just like really getting to the core of like what it's like to live your entire life feeling like you can't trust yourself, feeling like you had a certain amount of... Um, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for that was always told to me in school? Potential. Okay, so it's like you had this enormous amount of potential all the time and you couldn't get there and you couldn't perform, you know, and it was like knowing that you were bright but never feeling like you could prove it. And so it's like you've gone through your whole life with this overwhelming sense of like self-disappointment. And so like dealing with that and carrying that around, it just felt like it got worse and worse, no matter how much, you know, no matter how much you accomplished in life and no matter how like much, how fun you were with your friends and how much you were, you know, using humor and all the masking and everything else. It was like, it, it, it felt like the self-esteem and the, um, the RSD would just like grow like this monster that was being fed by everything else in your life. And like, that's, I think something that, you know, when we, yeah, when we talk about RSD and we talk about like that level of pain, you can see it in the eyes of other people who have ADHD or have been especially diagnosed in adulthood where it's like, yeah, like I, that was so, it's a huge part of it, right? It's a huge part of it is carrying around that that secret, like indescribable sense of sadness and shame that it has accompanied so much of what we do in our life that I think, I don't think a lot of people really understand how, you know, when we do talk about the struggles of ADHD, that that's really what it is. It's so difficult to articulate. 
And I think, you know, why a lot of people just sort of don't really, I think it's so, it's easy to kind of dismiss ADHD as this like hilarious disorder where you like talk about squirrels and all of that stuff. And like, there's so much underlying um, hurt and, and sadness and it's, I think it's also why people get really upset when, when there's that toxic pos- positivity element where everyone's like, no, ADHD is a superpower. It's great. It's the most wonderful thing. And you're like, well, yeah, I, I see that. But I also like, like really, really struggled for a long time. And like, what am I supposed to do with that information? Um, yeah. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash women ADHD. I feel like I am definitely rambling for in this interview <laughs> quite oh, a bit. Oh, I know. I ramble a lot as well. So I'm right there um, with you. Don't you worry about that. But but yeah, no, yeah. it's true. And then, so that was interesting to me because I had also never heard of, what did you call it? It was OOCD, the like oh, the comedy. O. Pure OCD? Yeah, so there's so there's like the me- there's the, but the, the physical o. the physical and then the mental. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, essentially, um, I think it probably comes a little bit hand in hand with ADHD for me. Um, because a lot of people that have this type of OCD do have ADHD as well, because I think obsessive thinking is um definitely a thing with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what did I do this right? Does this person like me? That's a bit obsessive, I think, and it's not anything to be ashamed of. It's just a fact. Um, so with pure OOCD, I had never heard of it either. I think it's a relatively new concept um, that they're still researching, but it essentially means that I don't have physical rituals like you'd imagine flicking the light switch off and on five times or, you know, everyone's going to (laughs) die. It's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It's um, more to do with mental rituals. So trying to get rid of intrusive thoughts um, by thinking about a song or just trying desperately to control my thoughts. Whereas what you should be doing is allowing thoughts to come in and out as they wish, because they don't actually mean anything a lot of the time. But with pure OOCD, you attach a huge amount of meaning to any intrusive thought, and it gets really, really distressing. If you research pure OOCD, you'll find that there's awful um, subcategories that people can fall into. For example, I was told by my therapist, one of her clients had felt um, that she was a pedophile. Those were her intrusive thoughts. And for a female, or just anyone, 
that is probably the worst thing you could be thinking. I'd, you know, rather be an axe murderer than a pedophile. So those kinds of really, really distressing thoughts, um, ones I used to get were that I had schizophrenia because I was so scared of losing control when I had anxiety that I would have con- I convinced myself that I was actually going crazy, as it were. Of course, I wasn't. It was just a feeling of losing control of my thoughts and my feelings and how in- insanely high my anxiety levels were, that everything just seemed too much. And um, it's essentially you're trying too hard to control your thoughts, and so they keep returning. And they kind of haunt you in a way because you can't control them and they're just very distressing sometimes. You know, I, the best way to describe it for someone who ha- doesn't have these thoughts is um, have you ever been in the car and you just think to yourself, I could just jump out right now onto the road? Yeah. Or I'll just throw my mobile phone out of the, onto the street or I'll just punch this guy that's walking towards me. You don't actually do these things. No one ever does these things. They're these weird urges and impulse, impulses, um, and you just disregard that thought. Most people would go, that was funny, that was a bit weird, or just won't even think about it. But for us, it's a bit more intense than that, and you attach meaning to those thoughts, and it can really, really distress you um, on a daily basis if you don't get a handle on it, because you kind of see that as reality. I had a thought that I wanted to you know, kick that dog. So that means I'm a terrible person. Do I want to kick that dog? Oh my goodness me, this, that, and the other. So it's essentially attached to anxiety and it just, your, your brain kind of latches onto these really negative thoughts and um, snowballs them to the point where you just think you're the worst person, worst person in the world. Yeah. I, I feel like I need to do a lot more research into intrusive thoughts. My 10 year old has been asking me about it recently and we had some, we've had some interesting conversations about it. And in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, time to get him a therapist. <laughs> but like, but it is really interesting. And I think there's been, yeah, like, I think it is a big part of, of, I don't know if it's just a part of anxiety and we just are a more anxious society or if it has something to do with neurodivergence, but like, it's, yeah, it is something I think a lot of us experience and do attach meaning to, you know, am I a terrible person? What does this say about me? And that kind of thing. I want to take a minute to let you know about the new women and ADHD online community. One thing I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is, wow, these interviews make me feel so much less alone. And I totally agree. I believe finding our people and sharing our lived experiences is such an integral part of successfully managing our ADHD. So I've put together this online community for listeners of the podcast where we can come together in a safe, intimate environment and make friends and obsessively ponder our neurodivergent brains with other brilliant like-minded women. And we never have to apologize for simply being ourselves. With your membership, you also have access to all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, written transcripts of the episodes, and a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom. You also have the option to upgrade at any time in order to participate in regular body doubling sessions and live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we discuss life with our ADHD brains. 
So head over to womeninadhd.com to join us or find the link in the show notes. All right. I hope to see you there soon. Now, if you could um, rename ADHD, have you thought about something you would rename it? Because it's such a problematic <laughs> acronym. It has not really like does not reflect our experience at all. For me, I'd like to take the negative connotation away from it. And I'd like to not think of it as a disorder. I, you know, yes, we suffer in some ways, but it, it, I don't like to think of it as a disorder. I like to think of it as you have these people and you have those people and we think this way and you think that way. Um, the, an alternative thinker, I don't know, anything that's, I mean, I could describe our brains as somewhat of a see, like a seesaw, isn't it? It's, there's this amazing part and then there's also this horrible part. It's hard to kind of describe to someone that's never experienced those symptoms before because it has such amazing qualities and also really heartbreaking qualities as well. So I'm not sure what we could rename it as, but I, I don't like the thought of it being something that just makes everyone suffer or make them a bit hyperactive or because that's just not an accurate description at all. Yeah. Well, we'll just call it the seesaw contingent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well this was great thank you so much holly i love your website by the way you've got so many great photos and the um thank you even your name it's such a nice font did you do that yourself no i actually hired a, a friend of mine who's a graphic designer she's amazing bianca jarvis creative oh. and she um i just said you know i want it to be colorful and retro because a lot of copywriters um in sydney at least tend to be quite corporate their websites are very I'll get this done and that done and you can trust me and I'm reliable. Whereas I just kind of thought, okay, I just want to be who I am. I don't want to come across as this person who's going to be very corporate. And I'm just, I'm just a good writer. I like, I like writing. I'm good at it. And if you work with me, I'm very personable and fun. And that's pretty much it. Um, no, you definitely get that energy <laughs> from your website, hollyjslater.com. I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to look it up, poke around and maybe even work with you. But yeah, your energy is definitely infectious on that website. It really leaps off the page. And, um, so yeah, it sounds like you've found, found a great job for your personality. <laughs> Absolutely. I love writing. It's yeah, definitely part of who I am. Just took me a little while to get there. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.